Hey everybody, welcome to the Real DMC Podcast. DMC stands for Dave, Marks, and Colin. Alright, well to start off on a downer note, uh, gotta say goodbye, a quick goodbye to James Kahn, obviously one of the uh, great actors of his generation. And for me personally, I'll just call out two movies. So was a big fan of the movie Rollerball. I know it's probably not for everybody, but I um, saw that on the big screen when I was down in LA at, at a midnight movie screening and thought it was pretty cool. How old are you? And then I also think, was that? <laughs> I think you were with me, dipshit. <laughs> but okay. Did that movie come out in like 1976? Yeah. What are you, like five? An, I, think it's a 19, I think it's a 1975 film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, that, but then the other movie that I would point out is the movie Thief, directed by Michael Mann, which... Uh, overall, I would say is a is a very good movie. Maybe not a great movie, but his performance in that is pretty amazing. So if you want to see the uh, ideal performance of somebody who's just a coiled spring of tension and ready to explode at any second, James Caan in that film, I'd give a high recommendation for that. So farewell, James Caan. He was great. Sending Corleone, of course, his uh, breakout role. Yeah. Caan. Caan. Con. God, <laughs> loved loved him. He's not one of my favorite actors, but I really, I really respect him a lot. No, I'm just saying, like he's not one of those guys I seek he's out. But right. he's had a really, he's had that a guy was hot garbage. I mean, he, he's, no, he's, <laughs> Way to read the room, Colin. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Rollerball, awesome movie. Rollerball is a good movie. No, it's not. I I would I would I posit that Rollerball is not a good movie, and if you watched it today, you'd be like, it looks so super dated, really not interesting, and you only think that way because you saw it the first time when you were a kid, and you were like, this is awesome. Uh, I disagree. Maybe I'll pick Rollerball, and we can argue about it. <laughs> okay. Anyway, right. we can move on. All right. Well, moving on to today's <laughs> film. So while they share the same title, today's film is not the gritty 1991 Jason Patrick feel-good film about addiction, but rather the 2013 Formula One racing film directed by Ron Howard. Let's talk about Rush. The closer you are to death, the more alive you feel. You're James, aren't you? Yes. Who's that? It's Nicky Lauda. He's just been signed by Ferrari. He's a nobody. Look at the way he's driving like an old man. Right now, with zero incentive, why would I drive fast? Because I'm asking you to. This is an incredible battle between these two great drivers. All right, Marcus, you picked this movie, so why did we watch this movie? Uh, the movie's rated 8.1 on IMDb, which is astonishingly high. It's actually the number 218th rated movie on IMDb, which I find kind of shocking because it completely flew by me. It came out in 2013, so I had two young kids at the time, which is probably why I missed it in the theaters when it first came out. But it's talked up like it's a really good movie. Excellent ratings, good stars in it, and I just never saw it. And so I wanted to take a look. Is it worth that high rating? Is it really one of the top movies of all time? I love F1, so it'll be a good one. Well, so let me ask you a question. What do you think about the 8.1 rating relative to the film itself? Still think it's pretty high. I don't know why. I Actually, I, this is one I do not understand why 
it gets an 8.1 rating. Like, it's a good movie. I enjoyed it. But it's really, like, it's not that good of a movie. It's not, like, one of the best movies ever made. And it's on that list, so it seems very inflated. Yeah, Colin, what would you, what about your opinion on uh, the 8.1? Oh, yeah, it's it's way too high. I think it's, I would personally score it on the IMDb scale at about a 7.3 or 7.4, maybe. Yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, I was going to go, like, 7.2 or 7.3. Yeah. I wonder if just F1 fans are just like, let's just pump this. I think it's all the Ron Howard fans. <laughs> but yes, I, 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 think it, I think it probably is maybe like Formula One fans. Because I, I think it's one of the best Formula One movies out there. Oh, for sure. Wait a minute. Are there other fictional or fictionalized F1 movies? Yeah, well, there's, there's, there's one's not Grand that. Prix. Yeah. I was going to say Senna I mean, is also. I think Senna no, Well, that's a higher. documentary. Hold on. That's, that's a, a documentary. documentary. That I've seen, by the way. That's a, that's a great documentary. That's a great documentary. But, you know, I remember when I first got into Formula One, when you guys got me into Formula One, which was like, I don't know, like maybe 25 years ago, there was, there was a lot of uh, uh, buildup and anticipation because Sylvester Stallone was going to do an F1 movie. And then ultimately he didn't. He did it. It was Cart. And I, was that movie also named Rush? Or is that something else? No. I don't. I don't, I don't recall, but it wasn't very good. And so there really hasn't been much content out there um, in terms of like Formula One. Uh, Grand Prix, which is, you know, great movie, um, is pretty old. And so not a lot out there. Um, and this movie, I was really pleasantly surprised because I saw it. I also was like you, Marcus, I, I missed it when it first came out. And I think I saw it probably around... 2018, 2019. And I didn't even know it was a Ron Howard movie. Um, but I was, I was like way impressed because I was not expecting it to be all that good. Yeah. It does. It has a weird, this is also why I don't know why they score so high. It just doesn't seem like it's a movie that just like would pass right by you. Like you wouldn't notice it. Like, I don't remember ads for it. I don't remember like promotion. It just seems like a weird, especially like racing movies aren't that big of movies. They're not like huge hits or anything like that. It's not. Well, the, the movie, the movie is pretty superficial overall. I mean, it's a good movie. I liked it. So I'm, I'm not going to be down on it, but it's not, you don't go very in depth on anything, really, if you think about it. Well, do you need to? I mean, it's really about this rivalry and it's, it's completely immersed in the world of Formula One in the mid 70s. And that's really all I need. I honestly think that it went nowhere. I mean, I think it was made because, you know, it's Ron Howard and Imagine, and he could pretty much make whatever movie he wants. But um, what was the what was the uh, box office? It made like twenty seven million. Yeah, yeah, twenty seven million in the U.S. with a budget of thirty eight million. But it made ninety eight million globally, which seems right. about right because at the time, twenty thirteen. Um, you know, American audiences were not really into Formula One. This is this movie takes place completely, you know, in Europe or Japan. Um, you know, it, it's a it's kind of okay. a Long Beach or European Beach, audience. Well, Watkins Club. and Long Beach. Yeah. I don't know. They, I think they skip, but Long but Beach, but though. but for like a few minutes. But but it's it's basically about European racing. Yeah, and audiences, you know, in the U.S. 
they're pretty much it's NASCAR, especially at that time in 2013. It's like NASCAR. Well, I forget when the last race before 2000, when Indy came or when F1 came back to Indy, there's no F1 race for like a decade or more. Like there's no, I think Michael Andretti came over to F1, but there's no U.S. drivers. There's no U.S. Nope. teams. There's like no, there's just like after Ford failed. Like Jackie Stewart was running Jaguar for a bit and that kind of failed, but they ran that as a British team anyways, too. So it was, so F1 was very, very low in the U.S. I think the seventies was probably a high point because you actually had Mario Andretti was racing that time. And you had like, you actually yep. had F1 drivers. You had Ford was a primary engine too. So you had a lot more American interest back then. So yeah, I don't think even F1 took off. I would say like it really became popular recently, which is with the uh, Netflix show. I think that's where it really became more mainstream. It's actually covered. Oh, for sure. And even ESPN yeah, yeah. started covering it live. Like, we were watching it 20 years ago. It would be, like, tough to find. I wasn't even interested in F1 to start off because uh, you just couldn't find it. Like, before the internet, you had no information. You, like, all I knew about was, like, old F1, like, from racing history or something like that. It wasn't any. Like, you're not watching it live. And so then when the internet came around, you could actually get scores and updates and you know results and can maybe stay up late and watch it but like it's pretty rare to actually catch a race anywhere maybe monica would be televised here monica was always televised yeah. like think like on abc and yeah that delayed was like, there too that i delayed yeah but that was like the only i think on the wide wide world of sports you know yeah well, so it's interesting because the two of you are definitely going to be looking at this as F1 fans, or that certainly <laughs> would probably influence your opinion of the film. Sure. Uh, I myself am not, I appreciate Formula One. I mean, I, I, you know, a lot of times if there is, well, there was an interesting situation where somebody passed somebody on the last lap. So I went to check out that highlight and I, I appreciate it, but I don't watch it religiously. So, you know, don't know really shit about the drivers, the teams or any of it. So I looked at it just from a movie standpoint, and maybe you guys are going to be more enthusiastic for it just due to your uh, you know your association with f1 i guess well after after watching rush i picked up the book the playboy and the rat which is about the uh, the story of uh, nike lotto and james hunt and so i read that book yeah. so now I'm, i have more about the f1 history than the movie itself <laughs> uh, they were totally blended my mind on uh, which what was in the movie what was in the book so that's okay we can help you there decipher you. between the two it's pretty interesting it's good read though for sure yeah, I, I, I mean, that is one thing that definitely watching this movie made me more interested yeah. in F1, you know, and, I was, and, and I'm more interested in, in the history of F1, too, because I do think that these two main leads are, yeah. and I, I have a question, which is, are they characters or caricatures? No, because it's funny. They're, they're, yeah, go ahead. They're, both very, they're both very exaggerated in terms of their, their core personalities, or they define them with some very superficial personalities that become very forward in the character, and so... You know, you have the wild, reckless playboy, and then you have the, like, ultra-lockdown Austrian. And so, I don't know if, you know, I mean, so yeah, so, so give us a little bit about the history of so, who these people were. So, it's hard to tell if, like, the book is also exaggerating, so I don't know. The book seemed pretty exact, so I don't know. But he, Colin's already shaking his head. Yeah, no, I just, from everything that I have read, um, I, I don't think they were exaggerating Yeah, that's what, that's what I was going to say. The book actually... Like they toned it down for the movie. So James Hunt was even more wild and more like kind of reckless and full of life. He's having sex with women in the paddocks right before. He did throw up before every race. He did like 
tons of drugs and coke and all sorts of stuff. And but it's also like he at times he did because uh, the book covers a wider range of his life. Um, and so like he did buckle down at various times to get healthy and try and like you know focus on things. Um, but like, he's definitely more reckless. I think Nikkei might be a little more. He's definitely the analytical, but he may not be quite as um, buttoned up and straight as the as the movie makes somebody. A lot of it's pretty representative. I think I don't think it's a. I don't think it's too yeah, much of an I exaggeration. Think, I think Hunt was toned I, down. Nikkei is probably about right. Nikkei's probably about. I, I think that there's a like a lot of that where he's you know he's like calculating the risk versus yeah. reward, and that's all very true. Yeah, because um, he did like all the you know, results are true. Like he skipped uh, various races because he didn't want to. Like he, um, when he won the world championship before, he skipped the last two races, or maybe it was after. He skipped the last two races because he already had it buttoned up and he didn't want to risk the uh, to drive. He's like, oh, it's not yeah. worth it. And he, also, and, he, and he wanted to just send a fuck you to Enzo yeah. Ferrari. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think what's what's superficial about this movie is the 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 rivalry in that they really sort of play up this rivalry whereas in in real life yes they had a rivalry but they were also like friends and yeah. they even lived together as roommates yeah. at one point and so that was very manufactured to a, to a certain to the extent that it was shown in the movie where they didn't really seem to like each other at all until they had this you know they this grudging respect for each other and then in the end it's like oh we're we're bros kinda so that's where it becomes very hollywood uh so from a from a review standpoint most of the reviews i think were positive but it was interesting cuz there's a certain uh, there were a few that were pretty polarizing or there were some i would say the reviews are polarized would be a better way to say it right so the vast majority of them i think were very positive and then the ones that were negative were uh, like for like for example, whoever did it for Roger Ebert, because this is after Ebert passed away, but I think they gave it two stars and said that it was all machismo and not for them kind of thing. Mm. And so that was where, if you you know, the reviews that I went through, most of them like the Variety review was super positive. Most of them were you know very complimentary of the film technique and the, and you even you even actually in some of the reviews saw things like best picture contender and that kind of thing, which I don't think this movie gets close to that. So I think that that's sort of an interesting call out. Maybe I'm just missing it or maybe it's just not for me. But I do think that for the most part, it was reviewed critically very positively, at least what I saw. Yeah, well, I, I, I think it should be because I think it's actually a, a very good movie. I mean, I've now seen this movie three times, I think, maybe even four times. <laughs> um, it, it, it's, it's quite good. Um, I mean, it's, and it's got a very good director in, in Ron Howard. What's not like, what's not to like? That's all I have to say. If you, maybe the Roger Ebert.com reviewer just isn't into sports or maybe he thinks that it's all, you know, just a lot of BS, you know, he, and he didn't buy into it, but by the way, Colin, I think it was a, she was a, she, okay. Well, she is not into all of that. And I mean, from my point of view, a lot of this is like very much real. I think these stories and the way that these drivers behaved and the way that Formula One was in the 1970s in terms of the danger uh, of the sport, that's all very real. Okay, but, but having said all that, you know, it's not something that everyone is interested in. So 
you know, of course there's going to be some negative reviews. Yeah. I'm curious, Dave, like just kind of your view of the movie. Cause I also took it as 76 is a huge year for F1, just from the, the accidents that a lot of changes happened within this year. There was like various, like a couple years later, the turbos came in. Um, but in this year it became a lot more money came into it. The, uh, I've got the, um, was it Hesketh? I forget the uh, Lotto's team. Or I'm sorry, Hunt's team when he starts. Yeah, Hesketh. Yeah. He's coming in with a lot of money, and he's actually the first. Before it was just like kind of like uh, just guys racing. It was a, it was a like tops. It was for the, playboys and dilettantes. Yeah, but they didn't have that much money. They didn't have this like a uh, huge glamour and stuff. It wasn't the same. And then when uh, Hesketh came in, he started like he helped make Monaco Monaco. He'd park his yacht there, and he'd come in with all this money and fly helicopters in and like bring models in and all this other stuff. So it was like a changing year. And so I think that's also part of it, which interests me just from kind of knowing the history and then diving deeper into it. Whereas I think if you don't care that much about all that, then it may not be that interesting of a movie. And, and I, I particularly love all that because I love all the, the glamour that yeah. comes along with Formula One. Yeah, that's a good word for You're it. You're always on the yachts with models, dude. That's what I, I always think about. Yeah, you and I think that way. Before, yeah, that's Colin's life. <laughs> Colin's life. <laughs> but I think before before this year, it wasn't really that. It was just more like guys with money and just going out there and having fun. And it was risky as hell, but they loved it anyways. And so then I think it started to change at these points. Well, so, uh, Colin, so you mentioned that you thought this was a, a very good movie, and you said, I think you actually mentioned that Ron Howard was one of the reasons why you think it's a good movie. So how about we switch to Ron Howard as a director? Director's Corner. What do you think about Ron Howard as, as a director? I, I, I like Ron Howard as a director. I think he's made many good movies that I like, although I, would, I will say this. When, when going through his filmography again, I realized that... Um, there's really only a couple of movies that, of his that I, I really like. Um, this is one. Apollo 13 is probably my favorite Ron Howard right. movie. And um, there's probably an, one or two, which I conveniently forgot to write down. Ran- Ransom. Um, <laughs> Give me back my not son. Ransom. <laughs> Ransom's not that great of a movie, honestly. Not Ransom. Oh, In fact, no, no. I've never seen Ransom, probably because you, <laughs> because of you. I, I love You that and one. your, Give me back my son. <laughs> Yeah, and and you know he he won the Oscar for A Beautiful Mind. Yeah. He won the Best Director Oscar and Best Picture because he's producer. Mm-hmm. And I thought that movie was good, but it certainly not great. Not something I'm gonna want to go out and watch again. Yeah, I like I really like Parenthood. It was a good one. It was fun. Oh, Emily and I just watched it again in honor of this podcast, and it it's really really good. Yeah, but. You know, it's it's a comedy and it's really well written and it's a well made movie, but it's it doesn't knock my socks off. Yeah. But it's a really good movie. And I think that's pretty much my take on Ron Howard is he's a he's a really good workmanlike director. He knows how to tell a good story and he knows how to shoot it, but he's not doing anything that's amazing on the screen. Yeah, right? that was right. My, that's my thought too. He's not like He's really good. He's not great. He's not a Scorsese, a Spielberg, Christopher Nolan, or Fincher, or someone like that. But he's he can make great movies, enjoyable movies, make blockbusters. Kind of reminds me, maybe he's a little like Robert Zemeckis. So he'll hit a, like, hit a home run every so often, but just makes good, solid, fun movies. Dave, you don't have right. the same and, view. 
Well, no. So my view on him is I actually think that he's a very good director. And one, one thing I would say is I don't think he makes bad movies. Yeah. So I, I think that, give, that makes him somewhat unique as you know, somebody who's, done, who's been as prolific as he has as, as a director. If you go through his entire filmography, you know, I, I can't think of a single one where I go, ooh, that was a big misfire, or it, maybe with the exception of the Da Vinci Code stuff, just because I'm not interested in, I thought that that was just kind of dumb. <laughs> so it wasn't for me as, in terms of the subject matter. But the rest of it is, I actually think that he is a really good director. And I actually think that in some respects, he might even be underrated as a director, because I think that he is a, I think he's a, I think he's a craftsman. And I think he's actually really good technically. And, it, and the, the fact that he can do all these different types of movies and be successful and have it not be the same or have a specific style. So I think he actually adapts his approach to a film based on the material, which I think is kind of impressive. In some respects, he's kind of like the anti-Tarantino. Because, you know, when you're watching a Tarantino movie, it's like, it's, you know, it's a Tarantino film. It's yeah. like, it has a certain style and ha- you, you have certain expectations. Ron Howard, I'm not sure exactly what's going to go. I, there, but the one thing I would say about Ron Howard is that I also think, I always remember that I'm kind of watching a movie. And I, so I, he, has, he has not created a movie for me that really has broken through and made me so caught up in it and somewhat enraptured with it that I am just really, really, really there. I'm still thinking, wow, this is really good, but it's a really good movie. So that's kind of my, it's, that's where there's a difference between maybe some of those directors that for me, you know, reach a different level, like, like Fincher, like if I'm watching a Fincher movie, I could be really, really into it. I don't get as into the movies that Ron Howard makes. Not even Apollo 13? No, I mean, I think Apollo 13 is, is a good movie. And actually, by the way, that, that's a great example of, I think, where Ron Howard's technical craftsmanship is, is really impressive because he does a lot of very interesting things, you know, visually, the zero G filming, all that kind of stuff. And I think it's good. And it's, it's crazy to go through his filmography because it's like, okay, far and away, he has, you know, the horse race, right? Willow with like swords and sorcery. Backdraft, you have all the fire shit. I mean, he's actually Willow, a really good director. <laughs> I just don't know that he's a great director for me. Like, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, uh, I'm fine with that. If you think of like A-list directors, these, these like artists... He's not that level, he's B, but he's, he's, B plus. He's, he's just right below. Yeah, he's like B plus because he, he knows how to make a good film. He's, so, he's almost like, you know, a studio director back in like the 30s and 40s who was just, he knew how to tell a good story and he made really good movies. But it's not like what you were seeing on the screen was necessarily this artistic vision. Yeah. There's not a lot it's, of like super artistry in, in, the visual, like visual artistry, but he's not groundbreaking, right? But he knows how to pull you into the story and and keep you engaged. And he does this on, like you said, like kind of any type of movie. He can he can do this. And I mean, there's a reason for that. You know, he's been in Hollywood since he's like five years old. His whole yeah. family works in Hollywood. You know, and uh, but but as as a as an artist like saying you know looking at ridley scott and what he does on on the screen no it's not it's yeah. not that level right but yeah it's, it's and it's he, funny you mentioned the studio thing because i had it's a question okay, okay if you're going to start a studio and you want a director that you could be working with and you're going to be you're you know you're looking for an initial launch of a couple of very successful projects ron howard would be a director i would look at and say hey i'd like to have him in the stable right because yeah. He's going to create some good, interesting, well-made movies. I, I, that's the thing is I also think that 
you know, I, I don't look at his movies and say, oh, that's kind of a waste or that drifted a little bit. I think his movies are very tight. I think he tells very well formulated stories. And I think that the, you know, the beats and the action, I think it all works really well. It just, for me, it just it doesn't quite, you know, jump up that level. I guess that, that's really what it comes down to. That's fair. Yeah. When I look at this movie, uh, Rush, and I compare it to other Ron Howard movies, I think it looks very different. Yeah. And it, I, and it I appreciate it. different. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and it's, it's shot differently. It's edited differently. And this is an example of where I, I think that Ron Howard's a bit of a chameleon when it comes to his different films that he's working on. You know, he yeah, kind of adapts you, to the material, which I think is kind of cool. When you look at his earlier career, um, I, I think they all seem like Ron Howard movies. They're just very different, um, whether it's comedy or an action movie or, or somewhat of a, a thriller. I mean, maybe when he gets to like a beautiful mind, he starts getting a little bit different, like cinematography. Maybe he switched to cinematographer and it, his movies become a little visually more appealing um, and it matures. And, but this movie, you know, I, I think you have some comments on how this movie looks in terms of like the color saturation, but I, I, I like it a lot. I think it's great. No, I, my comment on that one is that I, it's a compliment because okay. uh, was it Anthony Dodd Mantle was the director of photography, and he I guess what he was going for was a retro saturation look is how the film is shot, yeah. and I actually think it looks really cool. I mean, I, I think the overall effect uh, all the way through the movie is I you know I love the lighting, I love the color, I love the fact that it's slightly muted. I think I think it's actually one of the strong points of the film. Yeah, oh, good because totally I do too. Agree. Yeah, I think it looks great. It makes it look like you're in the '70s and just has that feel like. Not that it's a documentary, but it just takes you back. It's not a crisp, clean like it wouldn't. It also like somehow that. ramps the intensity a little bit for me. Yeah. I, I, well, the, the, you, the color palette actually makes it a little bit more intense. I think during the racing stuff. Well, exactly because for my take on it is that when I think about the seventies, that you know, I think about sort of like grainy color uh, color uh, video, right? But this, the, the colors are so vibrant that it makes you feel alive, and that's exactly what Formula One does. It makes you feel alive. And that's what I really like about it. Um, the other thing, by the way, is I think the score is pretty good. So Hans Zimmer did the score. And uh, I like the score in this film. I think it works. <laughs> Hans Zimmer. Yeah, I think it's good. <laughs> it's, Colin, Colin's got to think again. Are you never going never, never gonna to support Hans Zimmer just because of the, the cribbing of Wagner <laughs> on Gladiator? Is that what it is? Is that, is that your yeah, beef with him? Maybe. Maybe a little bit. I, I like Hans Zimmer, but he's just not... He's not uh, he's so different than, you know, the, the, the composers that I really love, like John Williams. And, and nothing against Hans Zimmer. Um, he's just very, very different. And I personally, I don't know if I really, if the music really stood out to me in this movie. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I thought was interesting is that uh, this apparently was the only film that was nominated for a best picture in uh, drama in the Golden Globes that was also that was not nominated for an Academy Award. So, do you believe that there is a anti-racing slant for the Academy? Exactly, racing and comedies—they um, just can't deal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I mean, it, to me, it's ridiculous that Days of Thunder didn't get a best picture <laughs> nod. <laughs> Love that movie. Casting call. All right, well, uh, moving on to the cast. So you have Chris Hemsworth as James Hunt. And I guess if you're looking for the wild, blonde-haired, you know, 
statuesque playboy and look no further than chris hemsworth because it's a good choice uh, yeah i was wondering it. i was wondering how much hemsworth resembled james hunt like i'm like uh, this is like just won't work but if you look at photos it's actually a pretty striking resemblance they're very very similar it, really yeah it, it is really good it, it is very good and i don't know if it's all the yeah, great I, hair it, or what like it's just they're very very similar looking i mean i think hemsworth's probably probably is slightly better looking but i, I really don't think so given the way women just like loved james yeah, hunt james hunt loved women. He, he's he's sort of like i mean it's almost like ron howard was like saw chris hemsworth in a movie and was like oh fuck i gotta make that that james hunt nikki louder movie like right now because i just found the perfect actor yeah. for it and one of the things too like usually um f1 drivers are are pretty small or smaller size because they have to fit into cockpit and uh hemsworth is six three but Hunt himself was actually 6'1". So it was uh, not as far off as I thought it might be. I'm like, there's no way Hemsworth's going to be an F1 driver. He's like way too big. But Hunt was a pretty big guy too. So Yeah, I mean, 6'1 is like pretty much pretty, the, the, pretty the biggest you're, you're going to get for, yeah. for Formula One. And even, even, even that, like even today, you've got some drivers that are 6'1", but they're like rail thin yeah. because they got to fit into that car. They got to be light. And they did have some drivers you know, who are bigger back then, but yeah. not that much bigger. Yeah, Hamilton. And yeah, Hemsworth. It, Hamilton's 5'8", and Verstappen's 5'9". So they're both pretty on this. Sh- yeah, uh, Esteban Ocon. Yeah, Esteban Ocon is like the probably the tallest. He's a, he's six foot one, but he's so super skinny. Yeah, those cars are tiny. Yeah. And, and when you look at the cars back in the 70s, they're a lot smaller than the cars today. Yeah. It was that, And that's one reason why I really like watching this movie is because it does seem like way more almost like down to earth and in terms of the the technology and that even though they're super fast and they're you know like they're the top of the line in terms of racing cars back then today's cars are just so incredibly oh, so technologically advanced they're like you know it's they're it's almost i don't yeah, it's, it's, and this yeah. is before, so like in 76, it was like, and this is like what I was saying earlier, it's like one of the turning points. The technology just was not there. They didn't even have the downforce. Uh, it wasn't until a couple of years later. I, I just want to clarify too. You guys are talking about Chris Hemsworth's performance, right? That's what we're talking about here. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> All right. We can, we can move on. He, he, was, he, he performed. By all means, Marcus, let's, let's do 15 minutes on downforce. Come on, do it, dude. <laughs> Hemsworth, uh, Hemsworth is is also just amazing. Not just from the way he looks, but the fact that he just exudes charisma. Charisma, yeah. And this is what James Hunt yeah, does exactly. He and he plays this you know brash, self confident guy. It it is literally it's just like a perfect marriage of actor and, and character. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's 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 fantastic, Dave. I know you're a big Hemsworth fan. What do you think of him in the uh, in the role? I think he's great, actually. I think he he definitely just exudes charisma, confidence, an edge of cockiness, a little bit of smarminess. It's all there, and he totally sells it right from the. Uh, the we'll talk about it a little bit in terms of is it a character or a caricature? Because I, I do think it's a little bit over the top if you're not familiar with the actual history and you're just looking at it from a from a character in a movie. But I think it's great, and I think that he's very compelling all the way through. And I and I do think that he handles the the Lada Hunt 
you know rivalry the back and forth about it's it's kind of that's actually one of the one of the high points in the film for me is watching the evolution of their relationship and then how they actually play off against each other in terms of you know little little word quips and you know they're back and forth and you can kind of this begrudging you know respect is creeping along and I think it works but I, I think he's actually very I mean when I look at him in that movie I'm like yeah that's a race driver a race car driver I get it so moving on to Daniel Brühl so uh, he plays uh, Nicky Lada and. Again, this is one of those questions where, for me, not being familiar with the F1 history, uh, just exactly how far was the stick up Nicky Lotta's ass <laughs> in real life? That's my question. Uh, I think it was pretty far up there. Yeah. But I mean, he, really? but the thing is, he's he's, but he's not a an, he's not a jerk. He's not a jerk. He's just a guy who knows exactly what he wants. He calculates the risk. He's in it for. Like he even says, like his character, he, he's. You know, if he could do something that if he had was talented enough to do something else and make a lot of money and be successful, he would he would do it. But he but he's got the perfect ass for Formula One. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's it's yeah, pretty, no, it's pretty it's, close. It's, like it's, I think it's yeah. Even like you know they you know I haven't read that much about about Nicky Lauda, but. I've seen him interviewed many times because he's still he was still involved in Formula One. Oh, yeah. um, he was very he much involved back. in um, the the Williams. I'm sorry, the both the Mercedes team mm-hmm. um, for many years until he died in uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, and you know he's it just seems like this performance by Daniel Brühl is like spot on. It's 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 well, really and, I, and apparently Nick. Nicky Lotta himself said that he's, when he watched the movie, which he was very complimentary towards, first of all, he said it was very realistic in his opinion, but then he also said that, that Daniel Brühl was him. He actually said, it's like, holy shit, that's me yeah. on the screen. So he was actually pretty impressed with that's the performance. Good. Yeah, Lotto uh, left um, F1 like in the late 80s. He had a falling out with a couple of teams. And he started his own airline, and so he was doing that for, I think it was like a, Almost a ten-year period, he was doing his own airlines and came back. Maybe it wasn't that long. Maybe it was like five years. And he was apparently he was piloting some of those planes in his own airlines. Yeah, yeah. As he'd well, fly like he, he was like battling Austrian because Austrian was a uh, a, a a government-run airline, and so he, he was having a whole lot of trouble starting up his own airlines. So he ended up doing these weirder routes to like vacation spots for smaller flights, and he'd like he'd be the one flying them there. He's like a two-time F1 champion, like flying. Like your pilot today will be Nikkei Lada. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool. He's just an awesome guy. I mean, when you think about his 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 life and his career, I mean, wow. So uh, well, yeah. I mean, I think we'll maybe we can get to it when we talk about the accident. But what he did oh, in terms of getting back in that car—that's one of the fucking craziest things I've ever, you know. I mean, so I saw it on film and then. I went and read several articles about it because I was just fascinated in terms of his intensity. And man, I mean that that dude had huge balls. Let me say that. Driven and and just he, he's just completely driven. Oh my god! Just like yeah. Stallone just in the uh, nineteen ninety. The movie was called Driven. That's the movie. <laughs> yeah. Driven. That's the name of the movie. That's funny. Okay. It just came to me. Wait, is that is that F one? No, 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 I, mean, I, I never I saw that movie. Cart. No, it's Cart. It's Cart. I think oh, okay. Stallone was supposed to do a uh, Enzo Ferrari movie. I think that's still, someone's doing an Enzo Ferrari movie. Uh, Michael Mann, I think, is doing the Ferrari movie. Someone is. Yeah. It's It's been bounced around for a long time. Uh, So you have Olivia Wilde in, it's not a huge part, but she plays Susie Miller, the model. Uh, Again, I don't know that, I mean, I assume that she's in this movie because probably at the time 
the quick marriage to James Hunt and then the marriage falling apart must have been tabloid fodder. Otherwise, I don't think she plays a particularly important role. Yeah, in the I film. felt like her, I don't know if she was as an actress, like it, she seems too big for that role is the way I felt. Like I think Marlene um, Nikkei's wife was a bigger role than, uh, yeah. than Susie's. But she also like, she did leave Hunt for Charleston Heston. So like it definitely was huge news back in the day. That was like, Tabloid. It was all over the British tabloids and all over like Richard Burton. Richard Burton. I'm sorry. Who did I say? Charlton Heston. No. Why did I say that? That would have been that would have been interesting. Yeah. The, hmm. uh, but he was he was married to um, um, Elizabeth Taylor. At the time. I just can't do anything you now. That's okay. I'll, I'll take over there for you. you. Yeah. But, no. I think it's. Uh, <laughs> I think it's really interesting. So, so, no, somebody you, changed Marx's you, batteries. You. you, you, you I mean, you have to have this character, and this is like a very big, big part of um, that his life in that season. And so, yeah, it's not. Does she add all that much? Um, no, but I think that Olivia Wilde, given what she's given, um, you know, is great. I mean, I personally love Olivia Wilde. I think she's absolutely beautiful. Way better looking, by the way, than Susie Miller, um, and all the scenes that he is in with her are, are, are really good, yeah. but it's really just to, to show, um, you know, sort of what he's going through at that, at that time. And I mean, I think they don't quite show this, but you know, in some, some of the stuff that I read when he married her, which literally was like a few weeks after he met yeah. her, um, like he, he, he got cold feet, like even before the wedding and he just, he wanted to pull out, but he was sort of committed at that point um so he yeah he just never really wanted to get married to her in the first place which is why it's so interesting and he was so like ready to essentially sell her off to richard burton thank god richard burton came along and and decided to to have this affair with her and fell in love with her on the ski slopes somewhere in switzerland and um and he got a million dollars out of it yeah the whole thing's bizarre that it's very bizarre it's it's this is, by the way, this is one of the reasons why I got into Formula One because Dave, your brother Jim, was like, I had no interest in Formula One or auto racing or anything. And then Jim started telling me stories about Formula One and the, the Lowe's drama hairpin? about the, no, not about the Lowe's hair. Yes, he, but although he mentioned that about a million times, but, the, but just about the drama of Formula One, both on the track and off. And, and it hooked me. Yeah. And that's why I started getting into it. And I think that's the whole reason why when you see the, now this, this hugely growing popularity of Formula One in the United States, um, as a result of people watching this Netflix show, that people are sort of cluing into just the amazing nature of Formula One, both from the drama and the glamour and the the just the, the global appeal yeah. and the different you know the far you know flung locations in these racetracks and and people are going oh yeah. hey this is pretty awesome yeah it's got such a like rich history too like it's just such a like that's what I love about this sport too it's just the history of it all I think mentioning the tracks is a great thing they go from they they were racing in South Africa in this time too right like they were racing in Brazil right racing us they'd race all over europe it's japan like it's pretty amazing sport in that regard and that's one of the reasons i got into it too it was just like the 
just that global nature of it is like exciting, like all these crazy tracks and it's not just driving around in circles. Yeah. It was actually, it was really fun to see that they're at Watkins Glen, yeah. I think twice in this movie, because that's the first track that I ever remember. And it's, for some reason I have this strange pull towards Watkins Glen. I think it's because I, I must've seen a race like when I was, five years old and it took place there and it sort of like just always stuck with me. It's got a good name. Uh, good name too. It just, every time I think of Watkins Glen, I think of the fall, like the, yeah, exactly. the leaves are turning and then speed. And usually the tracks, the, the race was at the, uh, the last race of the season too. Yeah. It probably was fall. Now, now no one wants to go to no, no. State New York to watch now, a race. Now the race is in Miami. Exactly. Miami and Austin. Yeah. Miami, Austin, Miami, and now what? Vegas next year. They're gonna have three awesome. races in the the U.S. next year. That's a, just amazing. So maybe the last member of the cast to mention. <laughs> okay. <would be> like, <laughs> uh, Sorry. Alexandra Maria Lara. So she plays Marlene Lada, so Nikki's wife. Uh, I, I think actually she's I think she's quite good in this. She might have the best acting performance. Maybe out of the four of them, I'm not sure. I, mean, I think she brings. Uh, what are you talking about? I think Daniel Bruhl is like pretty great, but I, I think, but I think she, yeah, she's wonderful. I she's really good, and and, and the two of the, the two of them together have really good chemistry, and I, I don't mean explosive sexual chemistry per se, but it's just they connect really well on the screen. So, yes, I, I just have to say, the the one quote from uh, I think it was from Nikki Lada. Um, he's talking about like because um, James Hunt's known for womanizing. So it's like, oh, I I love sex as much as the next guy, unless the next guy is James Hunt. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, that is fantastic. Which is, by the way, they they sort of brought that in in that um, in the scene where Clay Rigazzoni is is sort of kind of warning off Nikki Lauda about dating the the race track oh, yeah, manager, yeah, yeah. the track manager, because because her last boyfriend was. What is it? What do you call it? Like an immortal James fuck? Hunt. Yeah. And like, and he's like, who, who is this guy? What's his name? Uh, he's a British driver, James Hunt. <laughs> um, by the way, I just do have to give a, a shout out to Pier Francesco Favino, who plays Clay Ragazzoni, who just, I love this guy in this movie because when he first walked on screen, I thought, who is this? Is this Jason Sudeikis? He looks like a swarthy Jason Sudeikis. <laughs> and I was like really fooled right up front. The mustache? Or... And it turned out now he's just, uh, yeah, the, that huge mustache. If you look, he sort of looks like, say, it's, it's, like it's uh, the, Ted La- Ted Lasso. the Ted Lasso mustache through you a little bit, I guess, right? Very much so. Yeah. All right, well, moving on, Marcus, you got a plot summary for us. The story about James Hunt and Nikkei Lauda's chase for the F1 World Championship in 1976. All right. Opening questions. Well, I think we already um, addressed my first question, which was, how did Hunt fit inside those tiny cars? <laughs> have you ever uh, been so in that question. F1 car, Colin? Hmm? You haven't been to the races with us, have you? I've never been to uh, a Formula to One go. race. I've never been to an auto race. But you need no. You just need to come to the historics with us. Then you can see the actual cars. So, like, I've probably seen like these cars, yeah, before. Like all of them. I don't think I'm gonna make it this year. We'll go next year. Okay, that's a date. 
There I need to, I need to go to see a real. Will, will you fit in my car? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would fit in your car, it, but I'm not driving that down to Monterey. No, sorry. Oh come on, it'll be fun. It'll be an adventure. It might make it. <laughs> I'm for my ass. It'll be. <laughs> yeah, if you make it, how about I just follow? See our uh, March 2020 episode where I bought the car live, <laughs> live on the yeah, on the pod actually. Um, by the way, what kind of mileage does that car get? Uh, it's like 24, 25 miles an hour. It's pretty oh, good. Really? I mean, it's oh, a tiny car. Like, it's do, only, do you yeah. want to tell the audience what kind of car it is? Oh, it's a Austin Healey Sprite, nineteen sixty. It's wonderful. It's a, it's a sweet little car, I have to say. It's fun, fun drive. All right, well, I have a movie-related question. <laughs> Please. It's okay. I'm along for the ride. <laughs> we can talk about car shit. But uh, what do you think about the voiceover in this movie? Do you think the movie benefits from the voiceover, or do you think it intrudes? I, I, I'm glad you asked this question, because I actually have a comment on this. And um, I, my comment was that I think the narration uh, might seem a bit clunky, but I think it's really necessary for people who are not uh, familiar with racing. And so yeah. I think it serves a purpose. And I think that ultimately uh, they do it well. Um, but this is, you know, this could be like one of those times where you're like, this is why I don't like voiceover. Right. But I think it works there. What do you think? Yeah. I think it's a little bit clunky and it's also used unevenly throughout the movie. I, I guess it becomes more of a bookend. Right. So you hear it in the beginning and maybe at the end. Uh, maybe there's some in the middle. I, I can't remember. But uh, it's a little bit. It's okay. I mean, it's but it's very it's uh it's very exposition oriented voiceover. So it kind of confirms what you're saying in terms of the purpose of it is to get people up to speed as to what's going on. So you're trying to you know hit the gas pedal on that one. Not yeah, to I do think a it's pun, but it's, it's like... hard to cover a full season in like two hours. I think that's a hard part too. And that was one of the problems I have with the movie is it it skips a couple of races. It kind of glosses over a few things. You just well, like if, go if quick. The montage and that stuff is like, mm. yeah. Here's the thing: if you're not up to speed on F1, I, I think you might be lost with this yeah. movie. Well, right? the so points... as, an, as an example, they they set up a lot of tension around the point system, yeah. and the fact that James Hunt has to come in was it at least I think third in the race in Japan to get the points, but at no point do they really describe explain or yeah. or explain the point system at all, and you don't really know how far away the drivers are over the course of the season. Yeah, but and also you, the you point system's to. different. You kind of do because you need to know, like the point system. No, also all you different. need to know as the audience is that in order for Hunt to, to win, he's got to score three more points, and that's it. Well, I, I guess, and then the, does the he do really, it? But you don't know. You but, did, they didn't give the point system. I but looked they did, it up. But, no, did no, they no but it? they don't. No, they don't give you the point system. But all, but the characters say. You need to come in third or better in order to get enough points to win the championship. And that's all you need. But, but I'll give you an example of where I think that it's slightly confusing, which is when, so when Lauda comes back and he has the first race after he has his injury, there's this explosion of excitement with people running towards him and they're all excited because he gets fourth, fourth place and gets the three points out of it. But at no point do you have any kind of understanding as to what Lauda is actually racing for during yeah. the race itself. Right. You, you don't know kind of there's no tension that is built up. So all of a sudden at the end, it's like this celebration and you're like, wait, what? Why is everybody celebrating? And then you understand it. Yeah. I think they could have done a better job with the sports movie aspect of it. I don't know. It's hard to cover. Like I said, I think it's hard to cover the whole well, thing. I think they did. I mean, they did a great job with it. I loved it. I like picked up a book after I watched it. I read about it. Like it's 
it's fantastic. So I, I'm not like criticizing. I think like they could have fine tuned that a little bit to make it a little more digestible. I, I was going to suggest that, you know, sitting down and watching it for the fifth time with Emily and seeing if she understood it. Yeah. However, I think um, she's learned through osmosis <laughs> about Formula One. So she's not a good test subject. Yeah. Yeah, like I, it's interesting because I don't know how Jasmine would react to this movie. I'd, I'd, I'd be curious, and maybe at some point she'd flip we'll a fucking table and, uh, over. <laughs> but yeah, probably not. But um, the the other thing too is I actually I'm not sure that the the racing footage in this movie is the strongest part of this movie because mm-hmm. I, there's a lot of very aggressive editing, and you can't necessarily tell what's going on. And there are a lot of quick cuts during the racing, and there are genuine moments of you know, where someone's going to pass somebody or there are some really fantastic shots, particularly where they're racing in the rain. I think that the visual of, of the car going down the track is, is pretty amazing, actually. I think it's very impressive photography. But the, I don't think the racing footage in this, in this movie is all that great. I think it's very choppy. And I don't know that you ever have any kind of a sustained tension as part of the race itself. It's all very kind of, it, it's, it, it's choppy for me. It, it just feels choppy. I totally agree. I, hmm. I wanted more racing. Well, interesting, because I, I don't necessarily agree. I mean, yes, on the tension part, but I, I think the racing scenes are actually quite good and they, they feel very visceral. It's not like, I think Ford versus Ferrari does a better job of, of what you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, and maybe that's just because like, I sort of know the outcome or, um, but I, I mean, I love watching those cars uh, and oh, go fantastic. around the track. Yeah. And, I just wanted more of it. Yeah, the the other part of the narration and the voiceover is the use of the announcers describing the action, not just for the audience in 1976, but also for the audience watching the movie and who don't really know what's going on. Yeah, it's exposition. Yeah, and I actually think that was um, fairly well done. Pretty much sounds like it. Like at the end of the movie, the announcer is supposed to be Murray Walker. Okay, you guys are looking at me. I'm sorry, I'm not a huge Murray Walker <laughs> okay, guy, so okay, I'm okay. going to have to He's like this very famous British uh, uh, racing announcer in Formula One. Oh, yeah, Sort okay. of like he, 20 um, years. 20 years, he, he, he did the... He worked the with PDC. Hunt. Yeah. That's and who he, Hunt, when he retired, that's who Hunt yeah, uh, worked yeah. with. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I know him a lot because I used to... I have a Formula One game, um, computer game back in the... Nice. Back in the <laughs> 90s. And and it had Murray Walker doing doing the stuff. So I learned all these great, you know, oh, there's a little little of the old argy bargy. <laughs> just just shit like that. Certainly lended a lot of really interesting um nostalgia and history to to the voiceover. So I appreciate and it. And to your and to your early computer gaming career. <laughs> and to that. And to that. There's a lot of stuff like from uh I had a uh, this is completely off the but we had a, a game that we played. It was more, um, it was a racing game, but with like modern cars, you know, like Toyota Supras and stuff. And the soundtrack was heavily influenced by oh, uh, that was that garbage. garbage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what now every time, ta- uh, uh, I don't remember the name, but. Gran um, Turismo? Yeah, Gran Turismo. And yeah. every time I hear um, uh, the first garbage album, there's one song on there. It yeah, takes yeah, me yeah. right back into that That's game. Funny. Oh my god, <laughs> it's so great. Well, actually, one note on the racing footage. So apparently, Peter Morgan, who wrote the screenplay for this, 
original or wrote it uh, on spec, so he did not actually it wasn't a contract, and so he made it. He did not include a ton of racing footage because he was trying to keep the production cost of the screenplay low. So that was one. Yeah. Of, so so it makes me wonder how much they put in after the fact versus what's actually in his original script. I don't oh, know. Interesting. Yeah, I definitely wanted more. That was like my one. I wanted more racing. I now, think yeah, the racing footage is really compelling. One other thing just in terms of the editing is there are these quick shots of all of a sudden the interior of the engine of the car. And it looks neat. It's kind of cool, but it's just sort of out of nowhere. And then you're back to the racetrack or you're somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that that's a little bit jumbled, honestly, from an editing standpoint. And I don't they did know. One. They did like it's, a... It's, I it's think a little Hunt, haphazard. Let me say that. Yeah, I think Hunt was having sex with a girl. And like then they moved to the valves moving in and out. And then they cut right. to the racing or something like that. It's like a... I think they're just trying to connect the... I don't remember that. style or something. Yeah, I, I definitely made a note of that one. I'm like, uh... Well, that's, that's yeah okay okay <laughs> but then at least they didn't continue to do that yeah Nikki well, I, has the best I, one of those <laughs> right <laughs> uh, and then i just have one last question which is and it kind of relates to the voiceover but it you know so Nikki lauda says that uh he's remembered for the crash when he was driving like an asshole and i don't think that the Nikki lauda character would ever admit to driving like an asshole so that was the one thing that didn't feel right to me no, he he was trying to catch up. Uh, he ended up getting in an accident because he's. I think he was trying. He was behind Hunt and he's trying to catch up to him. So he's mm -hmm. driving. He was driving a little reckless at the time, which is kind of funny. no. I know. I, I just think that based based on his personal, how yeah. he his performance and his you know how everything's even keel and all that kind of stuff. I yeah, just yeah. the the self designation of an asshole does not feel appropriate. I don't know. I, I I think it I think it works because here's a man who is very much about who's very much risk averse, calculates the odds, and whether it's worth it. it. Didn't even want to race in this race at the Nurburgring because of the the weather conditions, and and yet he's driving a bit recklessly. And by the way, did not crash as a result of the rain. Crashed because his car broke. Yeah. So it wasn't even his fault, really, unless his driving actions cause the suspension to fail. All right. Well, uh, anything else you guys have in terms of opening questions? What is, what is some of your favorite racing movies? There's not that many. So it'd be cur curious to see. Like Ford versus Ferrari is probably number one for most of us. Cause just because they don't make that many of these movies anymore. What else would you list in your, in your top list? Yeah. I, I don't... Yeah. Certainly. I, I would throw this one up there as well. Um, Grand Prix. Definitely. Have, have you seen Le Mans? Uh, I've seen Le Mans because uh, you know, back with Andy in the day, we used, I yeah, used to watch that once in a while. And honestly, it's a bit slow. It's a bit boring. Yeah, <laughs> it's a bit I mean, slow. The, the, the footage is cool, but it's a little yeah. boring as a movie. Steve McQueen looks great. The cars are cool, but like you can do about 20 minutes of that and just gets like, uh, this isn't great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not like a good story. It's more like full documentary of like, it's not great. How about uh, Speed Racer? Oh, I, I could not watch that, dude. Car, no, Cars no. 3. Uh, Talladega Nights. Tal Days of Thunder. <laughs> so Days of Thunder is definitely Days up on the list. Up there. Yeah. That's what I was saying. Like, how, like, is it third? Like, is it like your third? Maybe Grand Prix. I haven't seen Grand Prix in a while. So Grand Prix is a great... They just don't make enough it's a beautiful, movies is what it comes It's a beautiful movie, but I feel like it's just not... It doesn't have enough of the action. It's also like three hours long. Yeah, um, I think Days of Thunder is probably like, you know, one or two. It's a Tony Scott movie, dude. It's fun. It's oh, exciting. It's, it's great fun. 
I'm taking it to the Golden Globes, and we're going to win a Best Picture. <laughs> All right, go uh, ahead, Colin. Your I, I was get, yeah, I was going to ask on the on the favorite part. I was going to ask um, a non movie related question. What's your favorite F1 track? Uh, F1 track? Yeah, Su- Suzuka. Oh, really? Not counting Monaco, because Mon- Monaco's. I love Suzuka because I think we played it in uh, what was the uh, the video game? You know, the crossover, the bridge. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, what's the video game? It was in like every, it was like the racing game that was in every, uh, I forget what it was called. I don't know. Pole position? Yeah, pole position. Oh, pole yeah, position. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, of yeah. course. And so Suzuka was there. But the Suzuka yeah. was a fun track. They did, that's not the track they raced out here. I actually looked it up. It was a different. Uh, no, it was, um, it's uh, Fuji. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other track? I don't know. I like the uh, Silverstone's pretty good. What's your favorite? Spa. Spa. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing like going up Eau Rouge. It's just it, every time I could just, I could just like watch cars going over Eau Rouge like all day long. And it, plus, it's beautiful. Yeah, um, I wasn't sure what it meant in terms of there's nothing like going up Eau Rouge. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cor- it's a uh, <laughs> part of the track. Oh, it's just like take it's your word up, for it. Uphill. Hey, we, we all have our things, dude. Whatever <laughs> works. It, it's like you go sort of like uphill, flat out. And you crest the hill, yeah. uh, totally blind, but you're going flat out, and it's just like the probably the most exhilarating part of any track uh, uh, in Formula One. And that's one of the fun things about F1 too. Like all the tracks have like names to the corners and names to the places, yeah. and it's just like there's a, like such a rich history with like NASCAR Turn One. Turn exactly. two. Turn well, there's three. only four turns Turn in NASCAR. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. It's just so like. Uh, left uh, one, left yeah. two, <laughs> left it three. It is. It is. It's not F1, but my all time favorite racetrack is Avis back in Germany due to the high banked turns. Nice. Uh, see, I, what, so my second favorite track, I think, is Monza. Because you can see the old Parabolica from the, the original track, and which is you can see which is very prominently featured, by the way, in Grand Prix, and like you they sometimes they they go out there with a camera crew and you can and you walk up it and you can't walk up it because it's so steep, and yet those cars, mm-hmm. you know, are fly like fly through it because yeah. of the uh, the centrifugal force. It's just it's That's it's crazy. fantastic, yeah. Not, ah, non-F1, as I say, non-F1, Laguna Seca is obviously my favorite, like, just because it's a local track. I've been there. The Corkscrew. A dozen, dozen times. The Corkscrew is so much on that drop. You, have to, you haven't been there at all, have you? No, I've never been there. I'd love, oh, I want to go. Because go there, it's like a two, three-story drop that you're going, like, you actually see the hill it's on, and you're dropping down through the Corkscrew. Mm-hmm. Fantastic track. Too small for F1, though. IndyCar races there. You used to race there. Right. Uh, by the way, um, you mentioned Peter Morgan earlier. Um, do you know what else Peter Morgan is famous for, Dave? All your period movies, The Crown, The Queen, and this uh, other. Well, he English did. I know junk. he did the screenplay for Frost Nixon, which was also directed by Ron Howard. Yeah, he's the he's the creator of The Crown. So yeah. Oh, okay. And yeah, but he also wrote The Queen, I think, right? Marcus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. My Colin's gonna love this guy. British. <laughs> I did, I totally didn't even know. It was like Ron Howard and then Peter Morgan. Like, well, it makes sense why it's a really good movie and and, and stuff, but not who I thought would have been doing this particular type of content. The funny thing is how much the British love 
racing. Like so much, uh, like most of the racing teams are, are based in England and like so much of it, like the history of auto racing comes out of England too. It's pretty Pretty fascinating. Well, yeah. Is that because uh, England always has a history of making really shitty cars? And so yeah, they had to bring uh, in all the others. I don't know. So, so this is an interesting question because it's a very sort of relevant. Um, so I was talking to a friend of mine who's, um, who, who's very much into racing, and he, he owns a, a 1965. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves racing, loves cars, and he... I, I know a few I, people like that. Yeah, exactly. He's sort of like Andy, but older. I, I, so I asked him this. I said, like, the British, British cars, the British love racing, and they're, like, so good at, I mean, all the F1 teams are, almost all of them, are yeah. based in, in England. Like, why are the cars have such a shitty quality? Even though lo- people love British cars, like, from the 50s and 60s and not, right? Yeah, but like why I are said, they, I own what, one. What, <laughs> right, you own one. What, so I'm like, why are they so crappy in terms of quality? And he said, well, it's because the British love to tinker with their cars. <laughs> if it's not broke, what are they going to do with it? Tinker with it. I thought, that, yeah, that's, that seems about right. That's funny. Okay, so my last question. Makes me, makes me think of the Triumph, a certain Triumph. <laughs> yeah, that's all another, another English car. I mean, whose who's, who's dad like, didn't like, tinker with cars? I mean, my dad had an MG and a Jag and... You know, like he even almost went, they, they, he and his, a friend of his like started a business of fixing them up and then I, I don't know, life got in the way, but like, this is just what like, people you. did. And, and then he had me, <laughs> he's like, I better get a real job. All right. Anyway, uh, last question. It's kind of off the, off the wall question, <laughs> but, um, I don't know. It actually does. Are, are we on track? It does deal with the movie. It is anyway related to the movie. It is related to the movie. So. Okay. They have even call this out. They 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 show this, but um, on um, James Hunt's uh, racing suit, he's got this emblem: "Sex Breakfast of Champions," <laughs> and this is real. Like this yeah. is actually a real thing. And I'm, my question is: like, what is the origin of that? And I figured, Marcus, you would know because you read a book on James I, Hunt. I did not. I did not look it up. It just seems very odd to me. Like that's just like sex. for the. Well, no, I get that, but in the seventies and like right there on his racing suit, like no one, no one thought, hey, that's kind of inappropriate. It was the 70s. <laughs> I don't know. All right, well, Dave, go look it up. All right, I, I will. I'll get on that. All right, and then do you guys want to transition to just a few key scenes and as we walk through the movie? How's sure. that sound? Yeah, you you take us there, my man. You take us there. So getting back to the racer introduction. So this is my question. And I mentioned this a couple of times, but I do think, that, you know, having James Hunt show up as the barefoot, casually stabbed sort of, you know, this swarthy individual who then immediately uh, has sex with one of the nurses in the hospital. <laughs> it's uh, I mean, and, and again, Marcus, you're telling me that you read the it, book. Maybe this is a real, it's you legit. know, it's a, it's, maybe it's accurate, but. It's a, don't you, I mean, if you're not familiar with the history, don't you think it's a little over the top in terms of this, hey, I'm suave, dude, <laughs> like all that? I mean, there's a lot there. I mean, come on. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like, I, I thought they were exaggerating, but it seems like, no, they're not. The funny thing, too, in the book, they talk a lot about how just sloppy and messy. I, I think the, whoever wrote the book must have been very proper about, like, the clothes he was wearing because they, like, they criticize him wearing jeans and T-shirts, too 
all sorts of events. That is like, quite scandalous. Yeah, inappropriately. Like I think it's definitely like now it's like nobody thinks twice. But in the book, they mention it like a hundred times about how sloppy he was. Well, the other thing is, I mean, the the Nikki Lada character, in some respects, the introduction is also equally as funny because it's. I'm an Austrian. I'm very uptight. You know, yeah. it's like, I mean, and and I guess my question on the Nikki Lada stuff early on is. He is an engineering marvel when it comes to car setup and design. So is that a real thing, Marcus? I mean, it seems a little unrealistic that he would have all of the, he would have all the ability to, you know, define engineering in a way that he says, do this, do that, do this, and it'll knock 2.3 seconds off the lap time, right? Yeah, yeah. Just... I think that's a little bit of exaggeration. Well, I will say that, that, you know, very successful drivers know how to communicate to the engineers what's going on with the car and to then be able to make the car drive better especially to their driving style and you don't become a champion uh, you know if you can't do that but that whole scene like to me is very reminiscent of exactly what michael schumacher did when he went to ferrari Mm -hmm. because he did exactly that and he kicked their asses into gear he was paired with he was paired with uh braun too though right yeah, but but it was a force of will to get them to change yeah. the car, to get it set it up right, to work like hour like long hours into the night to get the car so that it was not a piece of shit. Yeah, but he also already won two championships with Benetton. So with Benetton, yeah, but he remember he didn't. I'm when, just saying when he went to Ferrari, like it took four years for them to yeah. actually win a championship and. And it, the but car he wasn't was in, a nobody. Where Lada no, no, coming into F one was already, true. Was a nobody. True. Okay. But what That's I'm, all saying I'm saying is like that, the communication. Yeah. Like, but what I'm saying is that it very much reminded me of like you know the German going into the Italian team and yeah. sort of looking around and saying, um, uh, so what, <laughs> what 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 exactly was it? Um, I'll tell you. I got the quote right here. Uh, when Nicky Lada first drives the Ferrari, he says it drives like a pig, and then, and then the mechanic says, "Oh, you can't say that. Why not? It's a Ferrari." It's a shitbox. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And a lot no, of that, that was a good too. that was a good moment. That was a fun moment in the movie, actually. Yeah. yeah. Enzo sitting there reading his newspaper on the edge of the track. Uh, one other thing, though, I don't think about the opening scene that works that well is I'm not sure that you need "Give Me Some Lovin'" playing as the <laughs> song. Well, you know, during the F3, that 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 does not strike me as the right fit, and it's probably because. Everybody knows that Gimme Some Lovin' is a Vietnam movie song. <laughs> that's, where you play. that's where you play that song, right? You don't necessarily play it for F1. And also the fact that it's just a, you know, you're, you're over in Europe. So I, I didn't think that it necessarily fit as well. Dave, you, I think you're also leaving out uh, NASCAR because that's what it makes me, that's what it reminds me of. Well, here's, here's the fucking crazy thing is that is used in Days of Thunder. That's so Gimme Some Lovin' is, oh, is, is that used okay, in Days okay, of Thunder. That's why. Because I, yeah, thought the, that's I thought the exact same thing. I'm like, I don't, this song doesn't seem, really seem appropriate for, for Formula no, 1. No, I, I think the, that, that song there was a miss for me. I'm like, that's a little strange. And, and I, was, I was looking for the Hueys. Like, when are the Hueys coming in? <laughs> so. No, I, 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 I totally agree with that one. I blame Hans Zimmer. <laughs> uh, and then, so moving on, so when Hunt loses his ride, and then he's looking for a car, I, was just, I just wanted a quick, move, a quick word on movie drinking. Because I do love that when everybody's having a bad day and you have that drinking, it's always bourbon with like a quarter inch in the bottom of the glass and you're stumbling around the apartment. You got the <laughs> bottle in one hand. Let me just ask a question. When you guys have been out on a bender, is, is, that, is, that, 
do you really look like that? Or is it just, does this only happen in the movies? Because I've never personally done this. No. I think it's a movie. It's a movie trope. It's a, it's a movie trope. It's a total movie trope. By the way, yeah. how can you be drinking all day and not be slurring your words? Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, the funny thing, too, because they meant, they'd show them, I think, once or twice throwing up before the race. And they, I don't think they explained it, but it was actually from nerves and not from drinking or anything like that. He was actually extremely no, nervous about... Uh, yeah, I, I actually... They, I, th I thought it was a nerves thing. In, in okay, fact, it reminds okay. me of, was it uh, was Any Given Sunday? When, uh, uh, I thought you were going to say 8 Mile. Yeah, Beeman, the QB, throw, throws up. I think he throws up on the field. <laughs> no, they did explain that. I think that oh, okay, was pretty okay. clear. That, that yeah. it's just, that's just what he does, right? And then he's yeah. like, great to, he's good to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, just, I just think the movie drinking part of it is just, it's kind of funny because it's always, yeah, I got my bottle. I got my glass. I'm going to stumble around the room. It's just, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's a little funny. It is funny. And then I don't know why you would want to then take a, start drinking out of the bottle the next morning. Oh. No. It reminds me of that time in Los Angeles when I got up and I was hungover and I went to the fridge and I was like, then oh. <laughs> somebody had like a two liter of Coke that was there. And I tilted it back, and on gulp four, I realized it was pre-mixed Jim Beam and Coke. <laughs> and I turned around and spit it to the sink. <laughs> I think I'm, I might be to blame for that, Dave. Oh, thanks, yeah. I, I want to give you a late thank you on that one. Uh, sorry. Um, so moving on to the Spain race, this was actually a question I had around just the F1 rules. So, so Hunt wins the race, and then it, they, in the movie they show that Lada actually is the one that somehow highlights to the officials that his car isn't legal because it's like a, you know, was it an eighth of an inch too, too wide, wide or something like that? Yeah. yeah. So I'm just kind of curious, like, how can, how can a car be certified before the race, but then after the race disqualified? And how's all that work? So do you guys have any insight there? Yeah, they do what? a lot of, for what happened here, it wasn't Lada. I think it was Ferrari. So maybe Lada recognized, who knows exactly how it came about. But yeah. it was, like Ferrari did to, did complain to the officials at the Spanish Grand Prix, and that's how they got disqualified. So they measure the car after they do like after every race, they actually take all the cars in for spec and make sure the car like fits whatever requirements they have. They they weigh all the drivers and like they, uh, they so call all it, that does happen. They call it scrutineering. Yeah, which oh, which okay. I think is a great word, by the way. Just an amazing word. <laughs> that is, that is, that is. That is a, I want to go scrutineering this weekend. <laughs> just, just go around and take really close looks at things. <laughs> but, but Dave, this is, this is, this is not like unrealistic yeah. at all because this same yeah, thing happened. Like, it, no, no. It, I'm, by the way, I'm not saying this was unrealistic. I'm just okay. asking it as a question. Like, what are the rules? Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how it works, I guess. And I, and I guess yeah. very specifically, like if, if, because I'm going back to the reality that they were more friendly competitors. Cause actually I did read a little bit about the two of them after watching this movie. Cause I, yeah. I thought it was interesting. And so I couldn't see a scenario where Lada would actually be that pointed and try to take him down on what seems like a, a very yeah. limited. No, I think it was more Ferrari themselves. <laughs> no, Ferrari are, definitely would. Yeah, yeah Ferrari, Ferrari complains okay. about everything. They're yeah. they're jerks. They're fucking. They're very weird. like if they can't win with the car, they try and beat you with rules. And um, yeah, the the reason it got disqualified and it got it ends up getting overturned is because the tires, the car was too wide, and the reason it got overturned is the. The the tires expanded due to heat. It's very much the uh, tire the pressures. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. The, the, so it's like the opposite of what happened for the uh, the uh, the flake gate. 
right. to this one. Right. It was inflate gate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which you so would the, think the car that, ended up being too wide, but uh, that's funny. Yeah, you would think yeah. that at the time they would just say like, "Well, we're gonna wait until the tire pressures, you know, the tires cool, and then we'll yeah. we'll measure it again." But but you know. yeah. The funny thing, this actually changed. I don't know how much I covered in the movie or if it was just when I was reading. This ended up, so um, McLaren was having a hard time with like, okay, so then we have to change the car. So they adjusted the car a bunch of different times and trying to get it right. And so then Hunt had a really hard time the next four races and he wasn't placing well. He was doing terrible because of all the adjustments they're trying to make due to this disqualification. So they like made a big adjustment and it just like threw the car off. And then yeah. when they finally got, okay, like, the race is reinstated. They're like, all right, we're going back to that setup because that setup worked. And then that's when Hunt started winning again. So it's kind of a, it ended up being a bigger move in point in the, in the season than I think they noticed in the, in the movie. Yeah. They, they mentioned that he has, that he has trouble. I think they show the car. I think he has, he gets yeah. a couple of, you know, do not finish or did not finish. Yeah. yeah I mean, it was exactly because they changed the setup of the car to like, okay, like we have to be inside these rules. We have to change the car because of this. So, and, and they, I thought yeah. they did a pretty good job of explaining that because they're like, oh, okay. oh, well, now we have to like, you know, we have to shorten the axle. And then because we have to do that, now we're, you know, impinging on the, the oil coolers okay, or okay. like, and, yeah. and all of that stuff. What they didn't do though is, is I, it sounded like after they, uh, after they overturned that, it sounded like they didn't matter. They somehow they figured it out, and then they just yeah. and they it were even better. Like they didn't go back to the original setup. I think they did go back to the the, the original setup. Uh, that makes more sense. Yeah. Like, all right, we had a car that was balanced and working. Let's go back to that, and let's just go with it. Uh, so then, moving along, I just wanted to highlight that I do think that the moment that they have at home, so Nikolata and his wife, where he starts to have the realization that there might be more to life than just racing. I just think that that's a, it's a nice quiet scene in the movie. And I actually think it's one of the better scenes in the movie. I think I like how the lighting is set up in that there's, you know, some reflective light that's kind of bouncing off of them as they're standing there. I think you see a moment of vulnerability from Lauda. And I I just, I think that that's actually uh, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, even though you have all this racing action. The honeymoon. honeymoon, Yeah. The honeymoon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like, yeah. I, just, I like there's a scene earlier where he meets his wife um, and they're driving. I forget where they're, are they driving in Italy? Oh yeah. They're in Italy. Yeah. yeah they're yeah, in Italy. A great, that's great a fun, fun scene. Like, yeah. Uh, that's my favorite, probably my favorite scene in the movie just cause it's just like such, it's such a cinematic scene. Like it's just fun. But, and, like, uh, hey Colin, this, I was going to ask you, that's a riff on what's the older movie that what's, what's the older movie that where the hitchhiking uh, it's, they inverted and it's the girl, but then they stop for the guy. I can't remember. Oh, you're talking about uh, it happened one night. Uh, maybe that's it. Where yeah. there's the, the the hitchhiking scene. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And yeah, Claudette Colbert, I, I that... they're trying to hitchhike. She and uh, Clark Gable are trying to hitchhike, yeah. and he's not it's not working. So she goes out there and she lifts the skirt, her skirt of her leg, and then yeah, they stop for her, <laughs> pick him up. Yeah, yeah. So I thought I thought that was kind of referencing that, or maybe riffing on that. Just I think a bit. I think absolutely so. Yeah. 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 Uh, so then you get to the German Grand Prix, and I think that. Uh, just the opening moment where they show the crash of the driver and they're pulling the driver away. I just wanted to compliment the compound fracture effect because <laughs> when you look at that leg, it seems to be that there's a good inch of bone missing between the two pieces. It looks pretty gnarly. It, it yeah. does. It does. But, you know, if we're talking about crashes in this movie, there's the one that they show that it was like during qualifying and, it, and you know, this, this sort of reinforced the, the dangerousness of, of Formula One. And they, there's 
a sort of a split second shot where they do a close up on the car. And I'm pretty damn sure that it's, you can see the driver's body and there's no head. Oh man. Oh yeah. I, and I they, missed that actually. And it was like a split second. And I tried, I kept trying to, I wish I had it on Blu-ray so I could actually pause it right there. But yeah, it was like, you see the shoulders and the, his torso head, not there. Oof, that's good. Yeah, it was a uh, brutal, brutal sport. Like it definitely, like even fans, like they're like numerous times, like cars would go flying into the stands. You see, you see that accident? Um, yes. Oh my, oh my God. God. Like what was it? Two weeks ago at, um, yeah, at Silverstone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, oh my I God, literally like thought, the, yeah, when they, when, when they finally did show it, you know, because it goes into the fence. Um, yeah. I thought that it looked like the car was going to go right up into the stands, like rolling, yeah, yeah. Flip on, flipping over into the stands. And thank God they had the, the catch fencing there. Yeah. But that could have been a disastrous. Yeah. Previously, you didn't have the catch fencing. So the cars would go into the stands or tires would go flying into the stands. And like, oh man, it's just brutal. Like the, the history of F1 is that lots of, lots of drivers dying and lots of fans actually getting, uh, is risky. Yeah, I remember there's a, Andy told me a story about somebody that was, or, or a few people that were killed by bouncing tires. Yeah. That were just like rolling up to the stands. They showed one of the bouncing tires in this movie. Yeah, they did. in one of the scenes they did show it go like into, I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Can you imagine you're like sitting there watching it? It's like, tire comes at you at like 100 miles an hour. Yeah. Like, yeah well, good. and that happens like with uh, NASCAR too, but that's again, like they all have they the, the fencing now. Yeah, thank God. Yeah. And even in Formula One, I mean, what they've done in terms of safety, I have seen yeah. some of the most brutal and amazing crashes over the last couple of years. Yeah. And guys literally just walk away from it. Uh, yeah. It is That's absolutely crash amazing. Was crazy. The fact that he walked away from that, like, thank God yeah. for the halo, you know? Oh my God. Like, yeah. Thank God for the halo. Seriously. Because if the halo had been around in 2016, I think it was when Jules Bianchi got injured yeah. and then died a few months later he, that would have yeah. saved you guys him. aren't obviously talking about the uh, premiere ip for the xbox developed by microsoft right no 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 the, the halo is the now, now a streaming service on paramount plus there's a um there's a bar it's, that goes above the driver's head so that, mm-hmm. that can sustain the weight of the car basically so it can like yeah so the accident at silverstone two weeks ago the car flipped over and then was shooting down the 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 track on upside down and so when it hit the barriers, it launched up into this, into, into towards the stands and a, a yeah. fence there caught it pretty crazy. And it also has, there's a bar like now right in front of the, uh, the driver, the driver, yeah. it's part of the halo. It's, you know, it's, but if it wasn't there, he, he drove for Haas and, um, his car basically, um, it hit the wall, um, broke into immediately burst into flame like the biggest fireball i've ever seen in formula one and his in the front of his car went through the guardrail and if the halo hadn't been there uh he would have been killed he's just it would have been like this guy <laughs> who lost his head in in russia um but the halo just basically if you think about the guardrail sort of like like this the halo like basically split it open and and, and let hit let the car go through and Somehow he like he was engulfed in flame for thirty seconds, and he was able to get out and survive. But it's just uh, absolutely. And if you watch the Netflix show, they they go through that in in one of the one of the last episodes of the season, and it's it's really you should really watch it. It's it's pretty amazing. It's amazing how safe these cars are today. Now, 
30, 40 years ago. He describes it in the movie as a bomb on wheels, I believe. Yeah. Well, also the Nürburgring, the other problem, this is the game back to the film. So the accident that Nikolata had at, at uh, Germany, the track is, the track, the, the track that they were racing on was 14 miles long. The old track was 17 miles long. And it's a huge, huge, huge track. And it goes into yeah. the forest. It comes out. Like, think about 17 miles, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It, and they don't have marshals. They just cannot staff. It's, not, it's too big of a track to have marshals that you need. So when someone gets in an accident, so like even today, like someone gets in an accident, they have a guy there to pull them out of the, the fire in like right. two seconds, right? And at the Nürburgring, when Nikki got in the accident, his car was on fire. And actually it was the other drivers who had to stop and pull him out of the car because there's no marshals around. It took him like that to drive around the track to get there to him. It just... But by the way, Crazy. so getting back to that, so what was the, the purpose of, or I'm sorry, what was the cause of him being stuck in the car? Was it a, a jammed belt? Is that what it was? I mean, he couldn't, like, why, did, why was he stuck in there? I think he just got into an accident. Like he's I think he was, he, 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 plus he, he, so he lost his helmet because um, there was something wrong with the padding in his helmet. And so, and so it compressed and it didn't like sort of spring back. And because it compressed when he got into the accident, it sort of like flew right off his head, which is why he he ended up getting these burns all over his face. And I yeah. think the fact that he's like engulfed in flame is probably one of the reasons why he was not he was like so disoriented that he couldn't unbuckle his um, his seatbelt. Well, and it all yeah. all it takes is it's either you press in or you turn it, and like all six of the belts like disengage, so you're you're able to get out like very quickly. But he was having problems, with that, which is why that one of the drivers, it, it was actually just one driver in real life who, who, who pulled him out, but he was able to uh, unbuckle it and then pull him out. Okay. Yeah, I did notice the uh, black spider imagery before the, uh, the race, so, which apparently a, a black spider is a, an ominous, um, what do you want to call that? Uh, an omen. omen? An ill omen? An omen uh, ominous omen? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was gonna yeah. say, it, um, and then I guess it's a brutal other... accident too. Like, too, like because he was like arguing against it. He didn't want to race there. That could just unsafe. Well, actually, like, yeah, I was, I was gonna go to that because this is one of the things where you know saw it in the movie and then did some research. And I don't think that the vote in the movie is accurate, right? Versus what the what happened with the drivers. As I understand it, the vote was a lot closer in reality than what is shown in the movie. So and, and so it wasn't like it was Nikki versus Lada, or I'm sorry, um, Lada versus Hunt and. Yeah. Hunt had the entire room swayed, so that was actually, I think, a um, a, a moment of yeah. Uh, they, it's Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah. I did yeah. like the line though, because he did give him the every now and then. It helps if people like you. So it yeah. was a good, like little. That's true. And then, so he's at the hospital, and then one question I had is: so when when his wife walks in and sees him, and she has the oh, reaction God. where obviously she's aghast, but do you think in the back of her head she's like, "Oh man, I have to fuck that for the rest of my life." <laughs> You sound just like that fucking reporter. Yeah. <laughs> James Hunt. By the way, that beat, was, that was the most you. insulting moment of his life, apparently, when he, when he was asked that question in real life. Yeah. Well, apparently, in real, you know in, in real life, this? James Hunt did not actually beat up that reporter afterward. Yeah. No, I think yeah. the Hunt did defend him in like an every chance. Like the, that's one of the things, too, is like they were a lot. And you mentioned this already. They were closer friends, too. Yeah. yeah. But then it, what's, what's crazy about this, too, is I do think that Ron, Ho, Ron Howard can make a pretty good horror movie. 
Oh man, because that, that scene there, is there, nasty. In the there are a few scenes of him oh, in the hospital man. where it's taking off the bandage and then doing the lung vacuuming, and man, they sure linger on the lung vacuuming. Yeah. And it's you know it's, it's a little bit of a you get a little bit of a hostile vibe off of it yeah. for a second, and it's I mean that in nasty. relation to hostile the horror franchise. Yeah, I I think they just really want to show like it was like brutal. Like he was in the yeah. hospital twenty eight days. It was like he almost died. Like it wasn't that people, they actually had came and gave his like uh, final rights and they thought he was, he was going to die. They didn't expect him he to live. He said, tell the priest to fuck off. I'm still alive. And it's, it's, to, it's like, to, I, all I could think of was Kimi Raikkonen. Leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> well, and then I do think that the moment where he goes to put the helmet on his head for the first time, uh, you know, where he still has the burns. Yeah. Maybe I mentioned that, you know, Ron Howard, sometimes he doesn't draw me all the way in. I was drawn in for that moment because I was like, oh, fuck, you got to be kidding me, dude. <laughs> that, that was my thought there. I'll say this, man, for Nicky Lotta to do what he did and to come back as fast as he did yeah. to race. I mean, that's just an amazing feat of, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, athleticism. I mean, endurance, um, insanity. I'm not Stupid. sure. But yeah, I was to say stupidity. It's, I mean, it's, it's super impressive for sure. Yeah. It's 40, 42 days after the accident. Like he was back, back racing. That's it's it's just absolutely amazing. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I knew this story. Like I knew a lot of, like I knew like the, the, the bigger picture, like going into watching the movie, I knew the bigger picture of the, of the race and the, the duel and who won. Um, but I did not. And I knew like a lot of got in the accident and comes back, but I didn't realize how quickly it was. I, I thought like, Oh, maybe he came back for like, the last race i didn't realize he actually came back and you know was somewhat competitive like as soon as he came back like it's it's kind of bonkers it's crazy i mean yeah. it's that was one of the things that made me more most interested in terms of following up on just doing some reading because i thought that that was a pretty amazing feat honestly yeah uh, and then Japan. So uh, one one question for me as an F one novice: Do they ever call the race due to rain, or do, do you just <laughs> you just you know? I mean, do you just go regardless? Uh, they will. They will sometimes, but like often they're racing the rain though too. Like there's a. I think what they showed on the screen, they would not race in that. I was like, going to say because well. that looked a little bit that looked a little bit dramatic to be like if you're if you're ever going to call a race for rain, maybe yeah. that level of rain would justify it. No, so. And this is, you know, I, I mentioned Jules Bianchi, um, and uh, he ended up, he's the last Formula One driver to die as a result of injury sustained in a race. And this is pre-Halo. And I saw the accident, and they didn't actually show him going under, but his car slid under a tractor that was there to pull another car that had crashed in a corner off. But they were driving, this is at Suzuka, and they didn't, they didn't red flag the race. They let it go on. And I, sw I swear to God, and I'm not exaggerating, it was monsoon conditions. And I know this because they actually, there was a monsoon in Japan at that time. And it hit oh, wow. on that Sunday. And they were, there's a lot of speculation. Are they going to call it off? Will they have it on Monday? And they just, the organizers decided to go ahead with it. And then Jules mm -hmm. Bianchi died as a result. Oh, wow. I don't know how the hell you can you could drive an F1 car at that speed in the rain. That's just, I mean, that's insane. I don't even know how you can see, honestly. But yeah, I mean, sir, and, and of course they're 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 using the full wet tires and they're not going as fast as. But there's just so much rain, and he like just, just slid off in that corner, and yeah, and 
it should have been and and i think they've learned their lesson because every time something like that happens you know more safety regulations go into play even in austria this this past weekend carlos signs you know his he his engine blew and he he pulled off and he went up uh, an embankment uh, he pulled his car up up an embankment and to where the marshals could uh, steer his car off like fairly quickly but his engine caught on fire and then it started like really going on fire and and he's calling over you know he's not out of the car yet but he's waving the marshals over but the problem was he was he was on in this embankment and the car kept going backwards and he no one could stop it and a marshal like runs over there and he's trying to like maybe wedge something under the tire meanwhile Signs is still trying to like, get out of the car and that now the car is like engulfed in flames and then they cut away. And you're like, holy fucking shit, what's going on? Thank God he was fine. He got out, everything was fine and they put it out. But it was like one of those moments where you're like, everything went right until something that no one thought could happen happened. And it was like yeah. this car was just like rolling backwards. Crazy. It's just, you know what else is crazy? Watching, watching like, um, the the race at Monza, and you've got in you know like in nineteen seventy, you got photographers lying oh on God. the grass <laughs> right next to the track as cars are going by two hundred miles an hour. No yeah, fucking way. <laughs> no, no way. I think I I sent you the text about the guy the when the marshals were trying to run across the track to uh, put out a fire, and he ended up getting hit. The uh, the marshal was fine. He but he was carrying this big fire extinguisher. This is like in the seventies. Uh, I was reading about it, and so like with, the with Hunt? two marshal, what's that with Hunt? I forget. I think Hunt might have crashed, and there was a minor fire that they wanted to put out. Yeah, so the two marshals were running across the track, and the first guy like ran across, and the second guy had the big fire extinguisher. He got hit by a car coming. Oh and, right, uh, right, right. And the and the the fire extinguisher ended up hitting the driver in the head and killed him like instantly. Like that's the crazy. driver. The marshal got injured, but he wasn't killed. But then the driver is killed by the like, like you imagine a big massive fire extinguisher. Oh yeah, run across the track. Like, right. Well, you're, you're not supposed to be running across the track. The, the marshals yeah, yeah. are not. Well, there's I mean, also it, the the corner was flagged, but yeah, like, but still not smart either. Still, yeah. Well, I, you know, well, I, I I saw this this um. Th- by the way, YouTube is great for you know, if you want to watch clips of old well, Formula One. There's yeah, just yeah, a yeah. million. Of, so I saw this one where Hunt had crashed, and the marshals ran out there. He'd gotten out of the car. Hunt had. And the marshal sort of grabbed him to, to like pull him over to to the side of the track and to safety. And Hunt, being Hunt, just turned around and fucking and clocked him. He punched <laughs> yeah, yeah. him, and the guy like it just like collapsed. And then he <laughs> sort of realized like, oh god, like that was a marshal. What am I doing? And he like grabbed the guy. And he's like, are you okay? And, and yeah, marshal's yeah. like, oh yeah, I think I'm all right. <laughs> like, but it was like so. With all that adrenaline going, you know. Uh, all right, so maybe the character in the film is accurate. No, seriously, <laughs> it's it's totally accurate. By the way, this is one of the things that I I sort of wish modern Formula One just doesn't have anymore. That that old Formula One did have, which was, you know, these fights that would break out like, oh, yeah. at, like uh, on the racetrack after crashes, who by drivers oh, who were just them. completely pissed off. At the at another driver for like forcing him off the track or whatever, yeah. Um, yeah you just don't see that anymore. You you saw it. Yeah, it's not as recent anymore. But like you'd see it like ten twenty years ago for sure. Right, right. Not, but you'd but have to not go back today. forty years to see it. 
Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think in the in the eighties and nineties, maybe you would see some yeah, of that yeah. still. Those it, I mean, it wasn't like, and Senna and, and Mansell. They weren't those fighting guys. there. They a lot of yelling and, and screaming and stuff. Yeah. Now you but just yeah. see like they'll flip the bird at each other if they're really pissed off. Yeah. But that's about it. Yeah. So, anyways, getting back to the movie, just oh, a couple yeah, of things yeah. I, I liked about the movie. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> the all F one. Uh, yeah, this is like a this is an F one podcast, not a movie podcast, but that's fine. Uh, so I do think a couple of things about the Japan sequence too. I like the two moments where they're at the press conference and Loud is there and you know Hunt and they're going back and forth a little bit and so that actually shows them at that point where you know the the frostiness is thawed just a little bit and they're kind of it's there is a little more playful and then that trans uh, transitions to when they're in the cars on the you know getting ready for the start and they do the the quick acknowledgement and the nod I just think that's a really nice moment in the movie and it's a nice moment for their characters like I think I think it, it's a small moment but I think it delivers a lot yeah. For sure. Sorry, I just wanted to say something about the movie. But yeah, now you can okay. go back and talk. You yeah. can go back and talk about you know. You know, there's what, this, uh, there, there was this what, point what, in the what movie. What suspension modifications they made in the early seventies? Please <laughs> go for it. No, there's this point in the movie where uh, right before the race in in Suzuka or, or in Japan at Fuji, um, where uh, you know Hunt wakes up in his hotel room. He's got like at least two women in bed, and um, this 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 is the same week where he literally. Bedded 31 British Airways stewardesses. Um, <laughs> I mean, this guy is fucking prolific. Yeah, I, I got to actually read about this guy because I have yeah. some respect for him. <laughs> he would, he would like, so like all the British Airways, the, the, um, they would have to stop over in Japan and they'd have to spend the night and they stayed at this one hotel. And so he'd just be waiting for them at the, at the counter when they could be checking into the hotel. Be like, hey, I'm James Hunt. <laughs> For the race, so for the the last race in Japan, it's fairly accurate. I think they do, they show a lot of stops after his after two laps, and he pulls off because he's like, "Oh, my life is worth more than a title." But they yeah. also three other drivers also pulled off at the same time. Emerson Fittipaldi was one of them too. So it wasn't like he was the only one like saying this is just not safe to drive, right? And I think they did a little artistic license with the rain because I think it, the track started to dry out later in the day. It was it was pretty pretty heavy rain when uh, Hunt was making his charge. By the way, that's also another fun moment in the movie where you know he's trying to you see him driving aggressively. However, it also does I think highlight maybe a little bit of a weakness in and you know, call it the racing choreography because yeah, you're yeah. he's out there he's racing along things are happening you're not quite sure where he is or who he has to beat. So it's that- frenetic and and chaotic and interesting and intense, but it's not terribly coherent. That was actually that? accurate. He didn't know, like, it, it was somewhat accurate to, like, where he was, because he pulled in, they weren't sure, because it's also, this is, like, the 70s, like, right? they were doing pit wall signs right. to, like, communicate yeah. to the drivers. You didn't have radio to car uh, communication. It was just through the pit wall. So they weren't exactly sure where the other drivers were. They weren't sure, because you also imagine the chaos of the, the start with the rain and people, everything going on throughout the race. So it was when, he, I think he came in to get dry tires and go back out. And he ended up um, not knowing his position. So that's where he was driving crazy, trying to get like, oh, he thought when he finished, he thought he got like fifth place. He's like, oh, I didn't, he didn't even think he won. He's just like, oh, that, he got close. Oh, well. It's like, no, you got third, you idiot. (laughs) He's like, he didn't believe it until he actually had like the trophy or something in his hand. And he's like, got the press conference. He's like, I'm world champion? What the fuck? (laughs) Pretty funny. All right. Anything else you guys want to say about the movie? Yes, 
At one point, they mention uh, Jackie Ick, who uh, I think has has got one of the best names in Formula One history. But all I think all I think of when I hear Jackie Ick is many machines on Ick. <laughs> Had to have a Dune <laughs> reference. <laughs> Did you? Is that, is that <laughs> uh, we need, how are you going to sneak your Die Hard reference in? Uh, well, there's no artillery unless you're, <laughs> unless you're talking about what's in Hunt's pants. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, my. Oh, bye. That's good enough. All right. Well, uh, Marcus, let me ask you what did you learn from this film? I learned. From watching the movie, I was really interested in the story, so I picked up a book, The Playboy and the Rat. Great name for a book, too, for about this. That story. is a good name for a book. And so I learned a ton about the history of F1, uh, even more so. And what I kind of knew ahead of time, and what I learned from watching this movie, is you needed giant stones to arrive F1 in the 70s. Colin, what did you learn? I, I learned about James Hunt and this rivalry, because I really didn't know anything about uh, uh, either one of it, you know. The, I knew I knew about Nicky Lauda, but I just had no idea who James Hunt was. And I am so glad that I watched the movie because this guy is a character. And wow, that's all I can say. Yeah, it's really too bad because I think he'd still be going today because he was doing announcing after he uh, retired. Uh, but he died of a heart attack. You imagine his lifestyle wasn't. The most yeah. uh, healthy. <laughs> no, but he died. I think it was uh, forty-five when he died. He was forty-five. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Just, yeah. I mean, and I think that was ninety-three. So, like, he would have been still announcing when I was paying attention. Uh, well, what I learned is that uh, James Hunt and Nicky Lauda were Formula One drivers in the nineteen seventies, <laughs> and they had a rivalry, <laughs> and that James Hunt won the Formula One championship in nineteen seventy-six. That's what I learned from this movie. Excellent. So it was Good informative. Knowledge. Yes. All right. Well, I guess we can move on to closing thoughts. Marcus, what do you got? Uh, really enjoyable movie. Uh, it's, I definitely liked it a lot more, I think, because I'm an F1 fan. I like the history. I like the, the racing in the 70s. Two great characters. The acting's fantastic. I think the, the movie shot well. Overall, I really enjoyed it. The IMDb rating is probably a bit higher than it should be, but I think it is a, quite an enjoyable movie. It's fun. And I will give it an A minus. Colin, what do you got? I just think it's uh, probably one of the best racing movies that I've ever seen. It's it's also a movie that took me completely by surprise because I really didn't know anything about it, and it was so extremely well made, uh, well acted. Um, I will I will even go out and say it, like that it was well written because again they do one job, which is to immerse you into this these characters in this rivalry and they did a great job and you get as a bonus you get a 1976 formula one world championship season i think it all works and i'm a fan i'm a fan and i will give it a b plus maybe the first time i've actually given uh, a, a lower grade than marcus yeah i'm tough. I, usually the tougher grader uh, yeah, so I'll, I mean, I, I will start by saying that I'm going to give it the same grade as you, Colin, which is a B plus. So I think it's a, I think it's a really good movie, really well made. Uh, I do think that the, the, again, the characters and the characterization, it's a little superficial, but 
again, after we've talked through this, maybe it's appropriate, but it, it is a little bit, I mean, it's extreme, I guess, in its representation, which makes sense from a, a Hollywood film. Um, I think the, the race photography is really interesting. And some of the views, like I, I think the, you know, the shot in Japan going through the rain in particular and, and sort of getting that moment of experience of what it, would, what it would be like to actually be driving a car is great. I just think that it's a little bit choppy and I think it could be better uh, or it, maybe you could actually hold some of those shots a little bit longer and I think it might be more effective. I think the editing is just a tad aggressive. It's a little bit, it, it slips into Tony Scott territory for, or, or late Tony Scott territory for just a bit. Uh, I think the the actors themselves, I think um, Hemsworth and Brule are great. I think that uh, they totally sell the rivalry and they are you know completely uh, believable as their characters. So I think that that's great. Uh, and overall, I mean, it, it made me more interested in F1 than I was before I watched it. Uh, you know, it's not that I dislike F1. It's just not, I just don't watch it. Uh, but I do appreciate racing. And I like racing. Uh, you know, the time I've been to races so, and had fun. So all that works for me. Uh, so yeah, so B plus for me. Yeah, it all right, works, which brings it, us. I was going to say, it always works better when you can condense down a whole season. Like, right? How many races are there? How many hours of racing is there? Condense yeah, you know it what's down funny about this? Two hour window and make it all dramatic. It makes it, I mean, it this, this almost makes me want to watch Days of Thunder again because <laughs> I, I'm kind of curious. I'm, I'm honestly kind of curious as a comparison on some of the stuff as it relates to, you know, the race photography and also, you know, how they sell what's happening in a given race and where you are in the, in the pursuit of the championship and all that. So yeah. that, I'm be kind of interested to see it again. I watch it like uh, uh, maybe it's after our '89 podcast. I'm like, oh, let's watch Days of Thunder. Get ready for '90. It was good. It still holds up. It's still fun. Like it's not. I mean, it's not a great movie. It's not like no. It's it's fun. It's not. I mean, yeah. yeah it's, it's a it's, it's a, a, a Tony Scott movie. Yeah, it's an um, but movie. I do think Ford versus Ferrari is a great movie. I love that movie. Yeah, that one's that, that I think is super impressive. Uh, well, Colin, we are at the point where you get to pick the next movie. So what are we gonna watch? I'm gonna trade pick. my pick to you, Dave. I for, cede for, my pick to the gentleman in Petaluma. <laughs> uh, and I want to do a Sam Raimi film. So my original, my pick was going to be when it came back to me, The Quick and the Dead, just because we haven't done a Western. Well, we've done Unforgiven, but we haven't done a fun Western, I guess. <laughs> uh, and I love Sam Raimi. However, I'm also interested in discussing the multiverse of madness because I think that Sam Raimi pulled a fast one on Marvel and I'm just sort of fascinated with that movie. I'll say that that movie is not the greatest Marvel movie ever made, but if you are a fan of Sam Raimi, it's a lot. You can get a lot out of it uh, if you're familiar with his earlier work. So, of those two, which would you guys like to watch? I the, think we the have the day. No, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> when I said I, I, I am going to cede my pick to you, it is yeah. uh, upon the condition that you choose the Marvel movie because I want to watch that movie. Okay. All yeah, right. Well, I guess we will. We will try an MCU film. We have to try... watch the first one first. Uh, yeah, Marcus, it'd be good for you to get up to speed on what's going on in the MCU for you to, for the, oh, this'll be God. fun, actually. I know Marcus has a, uh, an ultimate or a, well, an existing bias so, automatically against the MCU. Yeah. So now Marcus, you're, you're going to have to start, my fill. you have to start with the Avengers and then there's about six, <laughs> 1600 movies that you have start to watch before Ar you, Iron you can Man get one. to this I've one. Seen, I've seen them all up to end game, except maybe, I don't know how many Ant-Mans they made. I missed, I saw the first Ant-Man. I didn't see anything else. I, I think you're. I think you're probably pretty good. Yeah, I didn't see the first Doctor Strange. So oh, that, I would actually watch the first Doctor yeah. Strange at least. Yeah, you might want to do that. Colin, your choice: Multiverse of Madness or The Quick and the Dead. Either one of those would be fun. Dude, you have to choose. It's your pick, dude. Dude, did you not hear me? He said multiverse. 
Okay, great. Yeah, it's multiverse. Well, it's multiverse, multiverse, multiverse. Okay, and we are going we're to watch come back. We're watching the fucking and, multiverse. Yes, we are going to watch Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and make that our first MCU film that we discuss. And Marcus is going to have a little bit of homework to do to get caught up, I guess. Yeah, oh boy. All right, well, I think uh, we can bring this in for a landing. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed our conversation about Formula, Formula One. One. And at some point, we did touch upon the movie Rush, although it was only superficially mentioned over the course of the pod. So if uh, we assume that... Congratulations to all you hardcore F1 fans that are still here with us uh, for the sign-off. And with that, this is the Real DMC Podcast, signing off. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Here's a, here's a good one. Um, hunt. It rhymes with cunt, a word that describes you perfectly. <laughs> we can close with that. <laughs>